and welcome to Very Amusing, your one-stop shop for the stories, secrets, and shenanigans of a popcorn-fueled theme park journalist. I'm Carly Wiesel, and welcome back to part three of our Tokyo Guide. I can't believe, I, I really was nervous about jam-packing all this stuff in. I thought, like, maybe we're going to have to extend it to four or five or six parts, but we did it. We banked it out of three, and I'm very proud of us over at Very Amusing HQ. And by us, I mean me deeply fact-checking the most uh, minute detail <laughs> of Trip to Tokyo to make sure that I am remembering it correctly. In terms of what else is going on in my life, I'm still just watching a lot of suits. I'm still watching a lot of suits. I'm getting back into working out. I was sick, and then I um, pulled a bunch of muscles trying to work out after. It was too soon, and I have um, tight hammies. So I got back into working out, so I feel pretty great. I've been trying to not buy coffee when I go out, trying to save a little money, which has been nice, except that today, I was like, today's the day. I'm getting I'm getting an outdoor coffee. I'm getting going to the coffee shop. And I went to get a coffee, and they didn't have cow milk, uh, which I, you know I'm, I'm a cow milk gal, so they didn't have it. I was sad. And then I was like, okay, I'll get a sprinkle cookie. And they didn't have a sprinkle cookie. And I know that's a small grievance to air, but if you've ever looked forward to something that's like basically a a, a version of a one one woman birthday cake, like a sprinkle cookie, it's a real bummer when they don't have it, but it's fine. My office, I don't think I've talked about this in my own office, is chock full of candy. Some of it's old. Some of it feels like display candy at this point, but uh, my office is a little bit modeled after Honeydukes, so it does make sense that the candy is inedible. I have not glued the lid shut, but I should. But my friend Laura and just moved back from London and got me uh, Percy Percy Pigs. That's what they're called, right? Hold on. Percy Pigs. Yeah, I don't know why I doubted myself. Percy Pigs are these gummies that they sell in Marks and Spencer and apparently also at Costa Coffee in London. Um, I've only gotten them at Marks and Spencer and I love them. They're like they're like gummies, but I don't think there's gelatin in all or most of them. And they're just, they're made with like uh, fruit coloring instead of straight up like corn syrup sugar coloring. It It is, it, they're great. And I have a new, actually got me the party mix, which tastes a little different. And then I also have the mallow, mallow ones that um, I think those were from when my friend Alex went to London and then my friend Eric got me little Santa versions. When, if, listen, if you know me in my personal life and you're going to London, you're bringing me gummies. And I love that I have so many now. How do I end up talking about candy? We should just start the episode. <laughs> this is why I just can't let it run. Um, anyway, if you are planning a trip to Tokyo, I am so glad you found us. And if you listen to this every week, I am sorry for brainwashing you into going on a wonderful vacation, but I'm right there with you. I will be fooled into it too. I hope you enjoy this week and stick around. There's so much information in this one and you're going to love it. And so many recommendations for my favorite things to do. Ah, enjoy. Enjoy! another season of the Palmetto Porch, an original podcast from Discover South Carolina. I'm Devin Whitmire. Join me as I get to the heart of what makes South Carolina such a great place to visit by speaking to the locals who make it so special. Premiering December 5th, find the Palmetto Porch wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about our show, visit scpalmettoporch.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to the third installment of our Tokyo Disney Guide. In our first week, we laid out all your options for ticketing and lodging. Last week, we dove deep into everything you can see, ride, experience, eat, and do within Tokyo's two theme parks. And today, we are discussing, well, everything else you need to know about visiting Japan. We're tackling airport transportation, what taking the subway in Tokyo is like, what to expect from dining in Tokyo, what stores you can't miss, my favorite $1 breakfast. Actually, it's less than a dollar and it's incredible. And we're even going to get into the theme park we haven't talked about yet. And no, that's not even Universal Studios Japan. It's somewhere else, but we will be touching on that today. But before we get into the nitty gritty of it all, I I need to wrap up things with Tokyo Disney and let you know how to leave these theme parks, how to get there, how to leave. I've given you all the info for once you arrive on how to conquer this resort, but you're not video game characters. You don't just, you don't just appear. <laughs> so you got to get yourself there. And I want to tackle all of that right from the jump. 
Tokyo has two main airports, Haneda and Narita. And I'm going to say right now, there will be mispronunciations in this episode. I think I'm saying things mostly right, but if you hear them and you're like, ooh, that's wrong, I apologize in advance. Haneda is closer to both the theme park resort and closer to the city, and both are viable options, but essentially flying into Narita means you'll likely pay more for transportation. If you're someone like me who books purely based on price and points and things like that, personally, I say go with whatever gives you the better or cheaper flight, since for me, that's the bigger pain point. Traveling directly between the resort and the airport, at least on one leg of your trip, logistically does make sense. These parks are between the airport and Tokyo, so going at the beginning of your trip or towards the end can be most convenient. Personally, though, for a multi-day trip to Tokyo Disney Resort, I prefer to visit it towards the end. It's something to look forward to, it's a nice note to go home on, and more importantly, I want to set myself up for success and be as adjusted to this time zone as possible. Because it's going to be a long few days with a lot of walking, a lot of doing, and early wake-ups, especially when Fantasy Springs opens. But if I'm only going to Tokyo Disney for a day, I'll actually do that towards the middle of my trip, so I don't have to deal with pre-international travel stress and airport packing on the back of a Disney day if I don't have to. That is all preference, though, because I will still take a weekday visit over a weekend whenever possible. And like I said, that too could be very important once Fantasy Springs opens. You have multiple transportation options between both airports, but as usual, your most expensive but most convenient option will be private transportation. These are real ballpark figures, so take them with a grain of salt, but we've gone hard on how affordable Tokyo can be, and that doesn't necessarily apply here. I do recommend pricing these out yourself, but ballpark, it would cost 150 US dollars with taxi or 160 for Uber between Tokyo Disney and Narita, and about 73 for an Uber or taxi between Tokyo Disney and Haneda. Taking a car is, duh, the easiest, quickest, most convenient option. But it's also nicer here. You won't be getting in a stranger's Prius like we do in America, which is really quite strange. I don't even know how to explain that to someone who doesn't have that in their country. I They might have that in Japan. I've never seen it. But it just being like, yeah, you get in a stranger's car. It's totally fine. Sometimes there's mints and candy. Sometimes there's not. It's a crapshoot. Very, very strange. But anyway, that's likely not what you're going to experience here. The drivers are professional, especially taxi cabs. Throughout Tokyo and at the resort as well, taxis are so nice and wonderful, and the drivers are generally experts, and they typically wear little white gloves, so it feels like a really nice, elegant treat to be in their car. I love taking taxis in Japan, and I spent too much money on them, but I love doing it. I love doing it. Now, train transportation from the airport specifically is not my personal area of expertise, but trains are doable from Haneda. However, for both, the best option, which you've likely heard about, is the airport limousine bus from Tokyo Disney Hotels to and from the airports. If you are staying at a Tokyo Disney-operated hotel like Miracosta or Tokyo Disneyland Hotel, there is a bus service to and from both airports. It's also shockingly inexpensive. One-way transportation to or from Haneda is under $9 for adults, and Narita is about 15 bucks per adult. Timetables aren't posted online, but I'll link to that page in the show notes so you can arrange directly and book in advance if applicable. Please do note, however, that Tokyo Disney Celebration Hotel does not offer this service to Narita, and bus information for Fantasy Springs Hotel is not provided at the time of recording. For Tokyo Disney Resort area hotels, again, these are called official hotels, but they're the unofficial, the Hilton, the Sheridan, the ones off the monorail that are not run by the parks. There are also airport limousine bus options as well. I have not taken it myself. So given that I am not a local and there is some nuance to this, I do want to direct you to TDR Explorer's guidebook for additional information, like extra options for travel and what to do if you arrive outside the time frame that those airport buses operate during. Uh, Chris's guide will provide you with a deeper level of detail for this section of your trip, and I want to make sure you're set, which is why I recommend him. Again, I know I emphatically say to get this guidebook, I am not paid by Chris. Chris is just a friend, and I think he does a spectacular job, and that is why we plug him in these episodes. I just want to prepare you for your trips as best as possible. Oh, and as a reminder, for any information or any confusion on how to get from your hotel to the parks, make sure to go back to part one of our Tokyo guide, which covers that in detail. If you are going to Tokyo Disney Resort for the day or just happen to pack much less luggage than I do, you are probably going to take a train from the resort to the city or vice versa. Because Tokyo Disney Resort is not that far from Tokyo. Like, at 
all. Like, it is not that far. It is frustratingly close that sometimes... I'll be honest. I get sad thinking about it. I get sad thinking about how you can just live in this wonderful city and take the train to the park as though you lived in New York City and you're just going to Bronx Zoo, only it's Tokyo Disney. I'm so jealous. I'm so jealous. You can just hop on a train and go. I'm so jealous. Anyway, Tokyo Disney Resort's train station is called Maihama Station. You can get there using the JR, Japan Railway, Kiyo, or Mushishino lines. But that's confusing. And it's going to sound a lot less confusing if I tell you these three things. One, it's a straight shot here from Tokyo Station. If you can get to Tokyo Station, it's a single train ride with, I think, something like 13 stops right to Tokyo Disney Resort, which makes it a lot easier to understand. Two, You really don't need to know the name of any of these lines or stations. The ones I just mentioned, you don't need to know them. You don't need to memorize them. Just do what I do, which is plug this all into Google Maps, follow it, and you're good. And number three, if you're like, um, sorry, what? Foreign train line? Different language? How do I buy a ticket? What's going on? Don't worry at all. I've put a link in the show notes that will direct you to a YouTube video that will literally walk you through the entire journey from Tokyo Station, including buying tickets, which platform to go to, and which way to go to the parks once you exit at Tokyo Disney. It's truly, it's clutch. I'm so grateful for this YouTube video. And if you're at all a little nervous about going, this will calm those nerves. Now, once you arrive and you exit the train, you're not just flopping right into Disneyland. Once you arrive and exit the train, you'll see Ixbiari, their version of Downtown Disney or Disney Springs. You'll also be a short walk from the resort gateway station of the monorail, which will take you to Tokyo Disney Sea and Tokyo Disney Hotels. Remember, the monorail costs money here, so be sure to bring a little cash just in case. You can take the monorail to Tokyo Disneyland as well, but you can actually walk from here to the park itself. You'll take a Kind of a long ramp to get there, but it also has some cute entry gate photo ops, which I recommend pausing for. We have not discussed Ixbiari, which I just mentioned, yet, but essentially this is more of a mall than we're used to having within our Disney iterations of it. It feels, honestly, I might get in trouble for saying this, it feels kind of more like Penn Station in a way. Like, it has theming, but there are a lot of stores and quick places to get a bite and a grocery store and a Disney store, which of course has different merch from the park, so you gotta go there too. So it offers a lot of things like Starbucks and McDonald's and sushi and photo booth places and Rainforest Cafe, stuff like that. But it does feel more like a pre-transportation hub before you take a train ride. I've used it mostly for grabbing items at the grocery store and getting a coffee and maybe shopping a little bit, but I really haven't gone out of my way to spend additional time there. Essentially, you'll use XBRE if you need it, and you won't if you don't. That said, it is a great option for food, especially inexpensive food. I left Disney Sea before fireworks to grab a proper sushi dinner at a restaurant there, which was pretty great and super cheap, and I made it in just before closing. Very proud of that. Uh, or for doing a little shopping, or maybe just getting a little treat or a souvenir from your visit on the way out. But I would not plan a whole day here like we do for somewhere like Disney Springs if you are one of those people who loves Disney Springs as much as I do. If you don't want to schlep all the way here for some drinks for the room or some snacks for your bag, because if you hear my advice from the previous episode, you will be packing snacks. There are also convenience stores or konbini in some of the hotels at Tokyo Disney Resort. Tokyo Disneyland and Hilton Tokyo Bay are just two of the ones that have them, and it's a really great option to just pick up some things so you have them on hand. And as a sidebar, when it comes to using the train throughout Tokyo, the easiest way to travel by train both here and throughout Tokyo is by using an IC train card, which is essentially a reusable, refillable train card. And the easiest way to do that is to enable it for tap to pay through something like Apple Pay. This type of stuff is really hard to explain verbally on a podcast, but if you're used to using tap to pay, you know what I'm saying. There are different kinds of cards, but Suica or Pasmo will likely be what you end up using. And you can refill it from your phone and use it to buy things at the convenience store, and it just makes your life so easy, so I recommend going that route. One of the main questions I got from many of you, though, while putting these episodes together was, how long should I go to Tokyo for? And how many days should I spend at the theme parks? And... My response is possibly not going to help you much on your journey, because my honest advice is for you to travel as long as you possibly can. I know, but no joke, take off as many days as you can without your boss making a snide remark. Travel for as long as you can without blowing your budget. Just do what you can to eke out as much time as possible. There are so, so many things to see, and there are so many trips you can take outside the city that are easy to take, and you can tackle 
so much in five or six or seven days. But having 12, 13, 14 days just lets you see so much more while you're basically on the other side of the world. When it comes to the park, it is a bit of the same, but here's the deal. If you want to cross most things off on your list and just get a good feel for what the resort is like, I think at least two and a half days on a shorter trip and three on a longer one works. More time is always better, of course, but I think three days is the sweet spot for seeing most things that you want to see. Now, that is with doing these parks at a peak Walt Disney World pace, like my default pace, scheduling, running, going, and doing. But I find that it's nice to have one full day at each park and then one bonus day, either using those late arrival tickets we discussed in episode one upon arrival, or spending your third and final day at the resort getting that snack you missed out on a on day one, buying last minute souvenirs, or riding your favorite ride one last time. And if you really wanna do it all, four days should be perfect. But even I have never stayed for that long since I know I cannot resist the pull of Tokyo itself. And that I personally know I will be back at Tokyo Disney at one point or the other. That said, if you only have one day, that's fine too. You'll see so much, you'll have so much fun. I get the feeling people are mad stressed about this, specifically if they have one day. So I'm here to say, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Even if you can't ride everything, you can definitely eat the one or two things you've been craving, ride a handful of attractions, and most importantly, experience what this unbelievable theme park resort is like in real life. Because just walking around, being in these locations with the locals, seeing it, all of it, that is the most important part of all. Which brings us, of course, to what to see and do in Tokyo. It's a Big city, jam-packed with a sensory overload of experiences. But it's my favorite city in the whole world. And besides Disney World and maybe Paris, the main place I consistently plot my next visit to. Which means I naturally have plenty of thoughts about what you should do on your visit to the city. Which we will get into after this break. <laughs> Anyone who's uttered the words Genie Plus knows firsthand that vacations require time, money, planning, energy. And if you put all that effort into enjoying your trip already, why not extend the highlights of that getaway into your everyday with FrameBridge? Put that vintage Epcot ticket up in your office and give it a little personality. Surprise your kid with their favorite character's autograph immortalized on the wall of their room. FrameBridge makes it so easy and affordable to custom frame any photo, park map, or even cocktail napkin from a theme park hotel bar in just minutes. You can mock up exactly what it'll look like on their website before you even spend a dime. Things ship fast and they ship for free, and their colorful custom framing means they'll not only help you plan your gallery wall, but make sure your place looks cooler than the interiors of that mid-century modern home within Spaceship Earth. I love the mementos I framed with FrameBridge so much that I rearranged my entire office so I can enjoy them daily. This is not a bit. This is this is true life. They're the backdrop to my podcast Zoom interviews, my Instagram stories, and even the goofy photos we take of Pearl tip-tapping away at my keyboard like she's a miniature employee. Too often, our favorite memories of a vacation are tucked inside our phone or shoved within a drawer, and it thrills me to no end that because of FrameBridge, I can finally be surrounded by my memories. FrameBridge makes custom framing easy, affordable, and enjoyable. And on top of that, their happiness guarantee ensures that no matter what, you'll wind up with something you love. To get started, head to FrameBridge.com, because your precious travel memories shouldn't have to stay in the past. That's FrameBridge.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. When I travel to Tokyo, I want a great meal. I want great coffee. I want to buy a ton of silly little souvenirs and I want some cheap thrills. And one of the best parts of visiting Tokyo is that you don't need to spend a lot of money here to eat well. Ramen, noodles, sushi, 
snackies. You can find them all for way less than you might expect. Case in point, my mom was visiting LA this week and we went to an LA coffee shop and we got two coffees, an orange juice and a banana bread. And it cost, I think, $40. <laughs> so it's not going to be like that. You don't have to be approaching it with that type of panic. In Tokyo, getting food at convenience stores is basically a rite of passage. So don't turn your nose up if you're not used to buying hot food at 7-Eleven back home. A lot of people will tout their favorites like onigiri, your little rice ball sandwiches, and egg sandwiches. Shout out to Zach Wolf who loves those. And fried chicken is also super popular. But personally, for me, a hot hash brown in the morning when you need a, or if you need like a hot little snack before a meal, mwah, perfection. It's perfectly crisp. It's delicious. It's wonderful. And I wouldn't usually get a meal at a 7-Eleven, like I said, but here, here I'm doing it. Speaking of though, I am obsessed with Japanese breakfast. Fish, rice, some pickled veggies. It is my ideal meal. I adore it. If I lived there, I would have it every single day. And yet, it is somewhat impossible to find here in the States. Uh, only a few places in LA serve it, which is so bizarre. The closest one to me is about 45 minutes away. But it's also pretty tricky to find in Japan. I've been told it's because people typically eat breakfast at home. I'm not 100% positive if that's true, but in my experience, the easiest place to find it has always been at a hotel breakfast. But sometimes I'm not staying at a hotel, and sometimes I'm not able to sit for a long, expensive breakfast, because if it ain't free with the room, I'm going to take some convincing. So instead, I end up at my second favorite breakfast spot. My, I guess it's more of a dessert spot, but I just call it a breakfast spot. And it, oh, it's Mr. Donut. Who, baby? I love Mr. Donut. There are fancier donuts in Japan. Don't get me wrong. There are probably better donuts in Japan. <laughs> but I cannot go to Japan without going to Mr. Donut at least two or three times. And I cannot enter Mr. Donut without trying minimum three donuts. They are super cheap, like 75 cents each. And they, they have these really good mochi donuts that are irresistible. They are chewy. They have different flavors. Sometimes they're dunked in stuff. But they're so flavorful. And I once... I shouldn't admit this, but I'm going to. I once only ate them for the entire day until dinner. Just a bag of... <laughs> they're that. They're that good. They're so good. Do not skip Mr. Donut. Also, it's not M-R period. It's M-I-S-T-E-R, which feels a little more, you know, like like planter's mascot, top hand monocle kind of guy. Mr. Donut. I kind of love that. I love it. Oh my God, you've got to go to Mr. Donut if you go to Japan. Now, donuts aside, you're going to want to get sushi. You're going to want to get soba. You're going to want to get ramen. And until I publish a full guide on some sort of website or newsletter or like printed space where you can click on all the different options in different neighborhoods and plot your trip, I think it's best that I just recommend my process on how I tackle booking those in one trip. And that is to recommend you find the best version of each that is closest to whatever you are doing that day. Because there's really no need to run around the city looking for an incredible soba restaurant because there are so many incredible ones. Same with sushi, especially conveyor sushi if you want to go that route. And same with ramen. So my approach is always to figure out the shell of your plan for the day. If you're going to a museum, if you're shopping in a certain area, if you're sleeping in because you're going to be jet lagged, those type of immovable parts in your schedule. And then once you have the general location for where you'll be at lunchtime or dinner time, seek out the best place you can find in that area in like a 20 minute radius, which will save you from running around the entirety of Tokyo looking for something that may have been right under your nose the entire time. That's actually how I found most of the places I eat my lunches at. And nine out of 10 times, it works. I usually travel to Tokyo by having a casual lunch and a fancier dinner. I also like to walk minimum 10 miles a day. Just love to walk, walk, walk. So I stay out all day sucking down coffees, little small meals, little treats. And then I go to town at dinner time. And usually at dinner time, especially when I travel with my husband, we are going big on nice meals. Cheap lunch, expensive dinner. That's my ideal vibe. And I don't want to inundate you with too many names or too many places for either. So I'm just going to give you specifics on spots that I love to eat at when I'm there. Essentially, if you were my best friend traveling to Tokyo, I would outline these six or seven spots that you simply cannot miss. I love Mycin. It's a tonkatsu or pork cutlet chain that is super reliable and so delicious. The coating is crunchy and crispy and the meat is superb. We like to get the little sandwich on white bread, which I think might be a kid's menu item, but those kids know what they're doing. <laughs> I can't remember exactly which menu it's on, but definitely that is worth ordering along with your meal. 
As for ramen, there are so, so many and so many different styles of ramen. There's tonkatsu ramen, which is a creamy pork base, and shio ramen, which is generally a lighter broth, and shoyu ramen, which has more of a soy base, and tsukumen, which is dipping noodle style, which you probably haven't had back home and I hadn't had until I went to Tokyo. But my favorite kind, which is more specific and, of course, more difficult to find, is tori paitan, or creamy chicken ramen. If you grew up on those instant ramen packets of creamy chicken, you know what I'm talking about. This is that, but it's the real deal. I know there's probably two of you out there who know exactly what I'm talking about because most people go shrimp, they go beef, they go chicken. No, I went creamy chicken all the way and it was so, I I have this like this young child memory of it and I got to have the real version and it absolutely blew my mind. Now, the place that I have had this at is of course basically like finding platform nine and three quarters. It apparently changed addresses or closed and then reopened. I remember finding it impossible to know when they're open, even though I just Googled now and things look more solid, like they have actual hours and an address. Anyway, it's called Ginza Kagari Honten, and it is worth waiting in line for and doing the research for how to find it because it is heavenly. It is truly the best ramen experience of my entire life life. Also, weirdly, Tokyo has phenomenal pizza. Serenkin is blown up in recent years after being on, I think it was on a Netflix documentary, but I love it there. I've been going there, I mean, on the past two out of three trips. I love it. You have to get the broccoli and then dip your crust in the olive oil of the broccoli. But if you're a pizza person, there are other fabulous ones too. Don't turn your nose up at it because you feel like you should be eating a certain type of cuisine while you're in Japan. There are chefs here who trained for years and years to perfect pizza, so it is worth getting at one of those spots, even if it's not entirely what you expected to eat while there. And I'm not talking like any pizza will be stellar. You have to seek out a specific pizza restaurant. There's a little research involved. Um, Hopefully one day I will have a way to send all my favorites to you. Audio is not the best format for that, but do seek that out because pizza in Tokyo, if you find the right one, is fantastic. There are also, oh my gosh, so many little snacky places that can't be beat. There are so many uh, cafes and storefronts that are dedicated to one certain type of food and they're so good. But my friend Rachel, who I visited, introduced me to this place, Truffle Bakery, which blew my mind. We scarfed little salted truffle buns and a black truffle egg sandwich And I ate them so quickly, I went back and I loaded up on even more of the buns, which I ended up taking to Disneyland the next day and ate as my breakfast. They're affordable, even though there's truffles in them. I don't know how. And so delicious. So perfect. So delicious. Like so many things in Tokyo are. Which I guess I should mention here. For something great, something popular, something in demand, be prepared to queue. You will see people queuing all over the city for meals and sweets and treats and things like that. I once walked past the wildest line for donuts and thought, no way donuts can be that good. But honestly, they probably were. They probably were that good. There are also so many fancy restaurants worth dining at. Kaiseki meals and omakase sushi dinners, and there's really no end to how many experiences you can have. My absolute favorites sadly closed during the pandemic, but if you're wondering if it's worth it to blow it out in a meal or two in Tokyo, do it. Do it. Do it. Let me bully you into it. The dining experience at some of these places is bar none. They even have like elegant, pricey tempura restaurants in Ginza, and once you've had top-tier tempura, It's impossible to go back. Some of the sushi we've had, holy cow, unparalleled. Treat yourself to at least one glorious meal. Not not that you have to, of course, but just for the experience. If you're on the fence about it, it is worth it. We've had the most success making reservations at, I'd call them competitive restaurants, by requesting bookings through our hotel concierge as early as possible. But we also have used platforms called Omakase or Table All to book those fine dining options. And again, if you are going the concierge route, I found that sending them a multiple places that you want to go ranked by which you want to go to the most, and then giving them your availability gives you the most options. I remember there was one place we really wanted to go to that is not open anymore. I'm so sad about it. On our first trip to Tokyo, and we had, I think, five nights open. And we were like, any of these five nights, if they have anything at any time, we will go to this place. And that is how we got in. So a little tip on if you want to do a special dinner, how to get in the door. If you like going to bars, some of my favorites have been Bar Orchard, which I just went to for the first time, which was so much fun, and Bar Radio, which is a longtime favorite. 
but there are so many worth going to, like an unbelievable amount. Oh, and don't don't be discouraged if upon arrival, it's not what you expected. A lot of businesses will be on the third or fourth or fifth story of a building in a way where you're like, uh, this is an office building. This surely can't be where our bar is. Only, yep, it's a speakeasy. Or, yep, it's one of the world's top-ranked bars just off a random metal staircase or a teeny tiny elevator in a multi-level office building. So do not be discouraged by the exterior because you will be very surprised when you open that door. There is a bustling bar inside of it. It's one of it's one of the most special things I think about this city. Coffee. Oh, oh my gosh. There is so much good coffee in Tokyo. I know this is every single thing. I'm just like, y'all, you got to listen. It's fantastic. But it is. There is excellent coffee. But we're going to keep things streamlined and not give you a thousand places to go to. And what I will say is that you simply must prioritize coffee mamea. Never in my life have I experienced people taking the art of coffee so seriously. I am not kidding here. It is the most elegant coffee experience you will probably have in your entire life. I won't bore you with their history and prior name and all that, but long story short, they operate in a small building on the side streets of Omotesando, a wonderful little area of shops and dining, and they will essentially personally work with you to find your ideal cup of coffee. They take it so seriously. It's glorious. But if that's not enough for you, if you're a real coffee head and you're like, I need to level up a bit, they also operate a separate location that does tasting course menus of coffee. I trekked out there and when Rachel planned it for me, my friend I was visiting, she's like, you gotta go here if you like coffee mamea. We went there. It was <laughs> it was so good. I was so truly overserved with unparalleled coffee that I had to call it and I couldn't even finish the last course. So if you're a coffee person, do not skip that. Make time for it. It is so elegant and so wonderful. And if that's not your bag, there are so many fun drinks and treats and sweets all around everywhere. So much matcha and coffee and desserts, so many places to name. But, and this is a little embarrassing, I got to admit, I had a heck of a time at the Starbucks Reserve Roastery. I know. I'm a professional travel writer. I should not be recommending you go to Starbucks when you're in another country. But here's the deal. Not only do fast food restaurants here have different stuff you gotta try, McDonald's had like a shrimp nugget. It was delicious. But I visited this Starbucks with Rachel on a morning where we were so tired and we braved the rain and we pulled up to the upstairs bar and the kindest gentleman made us essentially popcorn coffee. It was these little these little concoctions that were, I'd say, the definition of handcrafted. They were called cinema cappuccinos, I believe, and they were nicer than most cocktails I've gotten in my life, ones that I get at fancy bars. It even had little homemade pieces of caramel corn on top, just a blissful pit stop on a yucky day. If you're coming to Tokyo, oh, you're going to be shopping, for sure. And if you haven't listened to the episode I did on souvenirs when I returned from Tokyo, I highly recommend checking that one out. I'll put it in the show notes, but it's from October 2023, and I essentially just call out my favorite unconventional travel souvenirs. In that episode, I mentioned things I buy in Tokyo, like sunscreen and cough drops, and there are two fabulous places to do that at. Matsumoto Kiyoshi and Don Quixote. Now, these are admittedly two of the loudest, most overwhelming stores you will ever visit in your entire life on planet Earth. But they will also provide one-stop shopping for so many things you need and so many things you did not know you needed until you got to check out. On my last trip to Don Quixote, I think I bought chocolates, Disney Band-Aids, Little Twin Stars, the Sanrio characters, Little Twin Stars baby hair clips for Pearl, hand warmers, and silly socks for a friend. They've got it all. Again, it's a lot. It is overwhelming. It is my husband's least favorite store on earth. But boy, is it a trip. Matsumoto Kiyoshi, similarly, is more of a drugstore. You'll see these more often likely with big price signs and piles of skincare and beauty products lining the street, sometimes at street corners. But it's similarly a great place for makeup, skincare, anything like that you're hoping to scoop up on your trip. While you're in Tokyo, also, you've got to go to a Japanese arcade at least once. They're gigantic and bright and colorful and loud and fun. And I once had so much fun that I did a drumming game so hard my hands bled. <laughs> my hands bled. That's how hard I gamed. But I won, which is most important. And I earned it. So it was a highlight. There's a lot of stuff like this, too, including claw machines and capsule toy machines and my favorite, Purikara, which are 
Cute little photo booths that make for a perfect goofy vacation memory. So long as you're okay with the filter-like effects that they splash across your face. Kittyland, which you may have heard of, is a big draw for anyone in the market for toys and action figures and Star Wars things and Hello Kitty doodads. But I have my own personal list of can't-miss stores. The first is Tokyo Hands. This is a multi-level, essentially kind of department store with everything, everything, everything. Stationery, washi tape, kitchen accessories you've never seen before and can't resist, plants, goofy gadgets. It's a perfect stop for souvenirs and little surprises that you'll pick up while abroad that you might end up using every day, which is my favorite category of souvenir. And the second is Loft. Loft is kind of like... If Tokyo Hands was more boutique-y, whereas I went to Tokyo Hands to buy a bunch of fun, non-fancy kitchen cooking accessories, I came to Loft and bought greeting cards, gourmet snacks, perused their Korean in-store beauty pop-up for lipstick and foundation. It is one of my favorite lipsticks now that I bought there. Excellent. Things like that. It's more, honestly, the best way to explain it to me would be It's a museum gift shop that turned into a department store. There is a wide variety of very cool stuff worth perusing. And if you ever see me in the parks in my blue cloud poncho that I wear when it rains, which is constantly, I got that at Loft almost a decade ago. So sometimes souvenirs that you buy on this trip are with you for the long haul. And even if you don't think you're going to shop a lot, I mean, (laughs) you will. There are so many Disney collaborations here that you will find yourself wandering into displays of stuff you couldn't imagine would be sold back home. Case in point, I recently walked through this mall, I think it was Miyashita Park, which unbeknownst to us had a huge Disney collaboration across almost all the stores in the mall, as well as their first floor atrium. I was so tempted by so many things. There were really good goofy shirts, but I wound up getting this very cool kind of retro vintage seeming 101 Dalmatians printed bandana that I wear all the time. If you ever see me on Instagram and stories and TikToks, whatever, wearing a red bandana tied around and it's not typical bandana print, it's that one. I wear it constantly. And it's just one of the many fun delights that you'll find as a Disney fan traveling in Japan. You'll also find plenty of stuff like that in dollar stores like Daiso, but also at convenience stores and beyond. You may have come here expecting that I would have so many clothes shopping recommendations, but I have surprisingly few because clothing here really runs on the smaller side. I'm loosely like a medium, maybe a medium rising, like a medium, medium to large in American sizing. But I feel like in Tokyo, I'm more of an extra large. That said, for clothing and fun accessories, Shibuya 109 is a mini mall that I have gotten some cute, quirky blouses at. I've actually bought clothes there, unlike many other places I've shopped. But a lot of things I tried on there and ended up buying were one size fits all. So just keep that in mind. I was able to grab some really great printed midi skirts that had an elastic waist, but those are still cutting it close. And honestly, I'm a year out from the baby and those still don't fit. The elastic is a little tight. So just Keep that in mind if you're planning on shopping there. And as much as TikTok will tell you the vintage in Japan is good, I'm sorry, no, it's not. I adore vintage clothes, and some places are great for designer vintage, but I found that the majority of vintage stores are a absolute waste because most of their vintage tends to be American vintage. Levi's, touristy shirts from like Kansas and New York and all over our country. Basic stuff you can get back home at a flea market or Goodwill. Like I didn't come all the way to Tokyo to buy a University of Michigan hoodie for $45. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Which is why I tend to stick to accessories and other stuff like that when I'm out here. There are plenty of touristy activities in Tokyo as well. And I'm going to let you know my honest thoughts about what's worth it. I do think you need to see at least one, at least one historical shrine or temple or palace or structure. Whether it's in Tokyo or on a trip outside the city, Kyoto has so much of this. It's a great spot for that specifically. More on that in a bit. But a cultural experience is really essential to your Tokyo trip because there's so much modernity and so much history there too. And the juxtaposition of those is really important. Shibuya Crossing! Shibuya Scramble Crossing! This seven-way street crossing is actually really fun to see when it's jammed with people. And best part is, it's free and it's unique and it's something you're likely going to stumble upon anyway because it's right by the Tokyo Disney Store in Shibuya. The store itself is quite small, but it has this really fun, goofy 90s castle exterior, which makes for a delightful photo op and a very fun visit. Team Lab Borderless. 
If you're listening to this podcast, you're already inclined to like a immersive experiential exhibit. So yeah, you should go and see one of these firsthand. It is not your typical Instagram museum or even one of those like, was it like Da Vinci projection exhibit things, whatever those were. They were advertising those in LA for a year. But it's not exactly like that. There are more layers and interactivity to it than that. There are now two different exhibits in Tokyo, Team Lab Borderless, the original, which recently reopened, and Team Lab Planets. Now, I have only been to Borderless when it was back when it before it reopened, so it's a little different. But I remember each space being essentially different versions of living artwork. Basically, a lot of exhibits that utilize light and projection and music and reflective surfaces to fully transport you. It's cool. It's cool. Team Lab Planets, again, I haven't been to yet. Also looks cool, but I recommend Team Lab regardless, whichever you choose. And if you need more info for these, definitely look around on TikTok and YouTube. I'm regularly served TikToks about Team Lab planets, and I've seen some that are kind of their guides specifically for visiting, recommending what to do when you're there. And I think that can be very, very helpful because the lighting is dim in some areas. So you, you know, it's not like a traditional place where you walk in and there's a path. So I think that is very, very beneficial, and I recommend looking for it there. Also, No one talks about these, but baseball games. My husband dragged me to one on our honeymoon, dragged me, and it was really fun. There are cheerleaders, which he had to explain to me multiple times that this was was special, this was not normal, but also they had these servers that would walk around with little kegs on their back to pour you beer. It was just silly. It was fun. And really, if you're traveling with someone who doesn't like theme parks, but loves sports, and you're dragging them to a lot of theme parks, this is a great compromise while also operating under the guise of you letting them have one. Pro tip, pro tip from someone who has done that before. Animal cafes. Animal cafes are, if they appeal to you, worth doing. Ethically? gray area. And I don't want to wade into those waters, but I just want to let you know that they're very present here with lots of different options for what animals you can see. I've only gone once years and years and years ago when we visited a rabbit cafe, which was truly wild because how is that permitted? Like, how's it permitted with the food board? Rabbits poop everywhere? And I, I think I bought like a, a drink that they made. I, I Listen, I don't know, but I absolutely loved it. I had a cartoon grin on my face the entire time. I got to just be around rabbits And it was a gas. It was wonderful. They also have cat cafes and owl cafes and hedgehog cafes and so many more. So if you're inclined, definitely look around for what there is on offer there. Also, consider hiring a guide while you're in Tokyo. There are plenty you can find online. But personally, my go-to guide, the one person I will always recommend to everyone without fail, is Yukari Sakamoto. We love Yukari. I recommend her truly to anyone in our life who is going to Japan. And she is, she is fantastic, which means that now that you are on my life, dear podcast listener, you also have to listen to me yell about Yukari. (laughs) Now there is a caveat. Yukari is not the best fit for some people listening to this podcast if you're traveling with a larger group, because Yukari specializes in tours for two guests, not families or three or more people. And the pricing does start at around 240 US dollars for two hours. Though for first timers, Yukari typically recommends a tour of the Tsukiji fish market and depachika or food halls, which is three hours for around 360 US dollars. Now these tours are more walking and talking market tours, not so much eating tours. But if this is something you're seeking out, I honestly think Yukari is beyond phenomenal because she's a prolific food writer, an author, a sommelier, a sake expert, which means she'll be giving you the best of the best information and context about this type of stuff, especially if you're interested in knowing more. Truly, Yukari is like such a force in my life that I was just talking about her with someone at a Grammy's after party a few weeks ago because they also hired her and she made the connection where she's like, oh, you work in music. Do you know these people? And we were talking about how great she was at a after party for the award show. So truly, Yukari's the best. Yukari's the best. Now, I haven't seen her in a minute because our schedules haven't lined up on my past few trips, but years ago, we did hire Yukari to take us around to small izakayas and bars to try different food at the type of local spots where we never would have understood the language otherwise. I'm truly not sure if she still does that type of tour, but that is definitely something you can and may want to do while in Japan in a broader sense. Now, there are some touristy experiences you'll likely encounter that I just want to gauge expectations on. On my first trip to Japan, 
I was strutting around, thrilled to see groups of people wearing cool, interesting, colorful clothes. Couldn't wait for all of the photos I've seen to come to life. And I very quickly learned that's not what people typically wear here at all. Generally speaking, the vast majority of people in Tokyo seem to wear neutral colors. And as soon as my friend Rachel laughed at me and pointed it out, I couldn't unsee it. Every time I go to Tokyo, I'm like, yeah, this is the time you see people wearing a bunch of colorful clothes. No, no, I ended up being the weird, <laughs> not that they're weird, but I ended up wearing a bunch of colorful clothes and being like, oh, okay, I really stand out and I didn't intend to. Now, the reason I have this mentality personally is because back before global street style became a thing, there was this magazine, Fruits, that put out a book of their best street style photos in Japan. I had it in my dorm room and I was completely obsessed. Also, I realized it's no longer on my bookshelf at my office, and I went on eBay to see if I could buy another one, and it's $76? I can't find it in my hat. I gotta find it. Where is it? 70, okay, I'll, I'll save you. Save you from my outrage. But this was essentially like a Japanese street-style Bible. And I loved it to the point that I assumed everyone dressed like this in Tokyo, and they don't. They don't. Not even really in Harajuku. You'll definitely see some supremely stylish people, but Takashita Street, the so-called Harajuku stomping ground, is more so, in my experience, shops leaning into touristy goods and just a bunch of Instagrammable food. It's not what I was expecting when I first went, which was to see people exhibiting their own delightful personal style and mass. I've actually seen more of that at Disney parks, believe it or not. I do think some groups of friends do dress up like this on Sundays, possibly here or nearby at Yoyogi Park. So if you go, just keep that in mind. You'll likely wind up there or at Cat Street nearby because it's a great place to wander around, but you probably won't spot the level of colorful fashion you may have anticipated. Tsukiji Fish Market. So I went to the old fish market with actually with Yukari's husband years and years ago, where they did the big tuna auctions and things like that, which we specifically went for. But I believe is no longer offered at this location. It sounds like it's a little more touristy now, so I can't really tell you if Tsukiji is worth it or not, but definitely do a little more research to feel it out and see if visiting is of interest for you. I do strongly believe you should see the city from high up, and while I've never done Tokyo Tower or Tokyo Skytree observation decks, personally, I would much rather spend that money on a view and a drink at Park Hyatt Tokyo. It's the hotel most commonly known as the Lost in Translation Hotel, but they have a stunning view from the entire property, but also at New York Bar. It opens at 5 p.m., so if you time it right, you can actually get a day and a nighttime view while also having an elegant night out. Just be sure to mind the dress code and their temporary closure through the end of March. And if that's not your bag, my friends Jenna and Liam just went to Tokyo. Hi, Jenna and Liam, if you're listening. And they posted from the Shibuya Observation Deck, which... I'm pretty sure they were at Shibuya Sky Observation Deck, and that one looked really good. So if you'd rather do that, just based off Jen and Liam planning a great trip, I would do that one. Golden Guy. I'd I'd say hit or miss. It's essentially this wild corridor of bars jam-packed next to each other, and it's pretty unbelievable in concept. It's super unique and cool to see, but it wasn't something I left being you know, thrilled that we did. I just felt like such a tourist and much preferred being in an actual bar of my own choosing instead of bopping around this tiny corridor, seeking out places that would actually serve foreigners, since not all will, and squeezing into a tiny open seat just for the sake of doing it. Again, interesting, unique, but not something I'm ever likely to do again. Also, sidebar, when I first started going to Tokyo, everyone talked about robot restaurant. It used to be the thing people told you to do, and it was bonkers. It was essentially a show, like, in I would describe it as, like, in the core of the earth. You went down probably six or seven flights of stairs, just truly as indoors as possible, down, 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 down. And the show was, like, a mix. Okay, it was kind of a mix between the Transformers meet and greet at Universal Parks and, like, the setup of the Festival of the Lion King and Animal Kingdom, there there were these big floats and things. And essentially, it doesn't matter because post-pandemic, it has morphed into some sort of, I believe, samurai dinner show that looks pretty mediocre compared. So just keep that in mind if you hear about Robot Restaurant, RIP, it's not the same. And with so much to do and see beyond Tokyo, it might seem counterintuitive to actually leave the city, but there are innumerable destinations that are absolutely worth carving out time for on your visit to Japan. 
Kyoto, for starters, is a fantastic choice for destination. It's only a short distance away, a couple hours on the bullet train, and it will jam in so many experiences like bamboo forest and ryokan lodging and beautiful temples and shrines and serves as a wonderful counterbalance to the hustle and bustle of the city. I also went to Naoshima. Naoshima? I still don't know how it's pronounced. Naoshima, which I will not lie to you. It is... It is a unprecedented undertaking to get to. It takes so much effort to get here. But if you do, and if you enjoy modern art, well, if you love modern art, because it's a track, it is essentially an island dedicated to it. The Benesi House Museum, all of the Yayoi Kusama works that are public art there, Chichu Art Museum, one-of-a-kind James Terrell exhibits, it's one of the most spectacular places I've ever been to in my entire life. And if you can brave the journey there, because it takes a long time, it is worth it. Oh, it is worth it. It's a one-of-a-kind experience. There's also Osaka, a city personally I didn't enjoy as much as Kyoto, but I had a nice time at their aquarium and... Oh my gosh. Oh, we also, while we were in, we were in Osaka, we went to the most mind boggling dinner. It was an omakase sushi dinner on a houseboat, a houseboat. There were maybe six or eight or 10 people only, but we got on this boat and it rode around, I think the Yodo river. And we drove past this huge Ferris wheel. It was one of the most memorable dining experiences of my whole life. There was a female sushi chef yeah, a female sushi chef. And she was amazing. She held up this gigantic crab. And we were like, where in the world are we? We're on the water. She's holding up a crab. She's making a sushi. It was <laughs> it was bananas. So if you want to have your blowout fancy meal in Osaka, the place is called Rusensaki, uh, spelled S-A-E-K-I. And we booked it on Omakase, that booking platform. Truly, again, once in a lifetime in the most magical of ways. And if you are thinking about going to Osaka, you're probably, duh, going to Universal Studios Osaka. We're not going to talk too much about that here just because that's a whole other trip, a whole other itinerary. And if you do want me to do a standalone episode on that park, just let me know at 747 Churros. And if enough people want it, I will put it together. I haven't been since 2019, but I do have plenty to say and discuss since I had a blast there, even though it was freezing, freezing, freezing cold weather. It's right off the water and it was windy. It was, whew, I had appendages go numb, but I still had a great time. Still, there is one spot. There is one spot that gives you theme park thrills without having to pack up your bags and travel somewhere else. And that is Sanrio Puroland. How does one even begin to discuss Puroland? It's an easy day trip from Tokyo. I think the train took me a little over an hour. And it is spectacular. It's basically an indoor theme park, but you're there more for the entertainment and the characters and the theming than any rides. Because they have rides, but they're more of a technicality. That said, the boat ride was closed when I was there, so I haven't been on the boat ride, one of very few attractions. <laughs> but I will be returning to go again, get on that boat ride at some point in the future. And it's also set up in the most interesting way. Basically, you walk in and you're like in a little atrium and then you go downstairs and the whole place opens up in front of you. So you walk in, there's like, oh, you're like in the entrance. Then you go down the stairs. Boom. There is a gigantic treehouse. And I know Walt Disney really killed it when it came to like designing a theme park entrance or whatever. But I'm telling you, there is nothing like entering Puro Land for the first time. It will it will blow you away. This wide open space in the center is where all of the experiences branch off from. And the middle is where the parade and shows happen. I felt, it felt like kind of like I was in a retro indoor mall, but it was all Sanrio and Hello Kitty. I felt like I was sugar high the entire time I was there. I went alone and I had so much fun. I highly recommend spending a day here if you are at all interested in this because it was glorious. The theming was beautiful. I met Hello Kitty in her house. I bought the photo that I took with her. And then they put that, they put that kind of photo and like, they put it in like a little frame and it had the photo booth filter on it. So we both look like pastel and stunning and happy. I love it so much. I have to frame that. I've been waiting. I got to frame it. It's been, been long enough. I don't want to go too deep on Sanrio Prior Land, but if you listen to Very Amusing and you are into similar stuff that I'm into, definitely consider carving out a day for this because it was pure glee. Now, before we wrap up this series, I do have a few tips for you. If you are staying at Tokyo Disney Resort or beyond while in Tokyo, or plan to return to Tokyo after, consider booking both stays at the same hotel and check with them to see if you can leave your luggage there while you travel. Some will let you do that, and it is extremely convenient. 
The Shinkansen or bullet trains have limitations on the size of luggage you can bring. So make sure you check that out before you book your plans. We were also able to send our luggage in advance of our arrival, which was incredibly convenient. If you're concerned about the language, of course, download Google Translate, but also familiarize yourself with a few basic phrases. There's konnichiwa, which is hello, of course, but check is cheku, yes is hi, and there's one phrase you will be incredibly familiar with by the time you leave, which is arigato gozaimasu. It means thank you very much, and you will hear it endlessly. Another thing you'll hear, the sound of toilets flushing. Because bathrooms have these little buttons where you can press, where you get a little water noise to cover you, making your business. So you'll hear the sound of flushing, the sound of water constantly in bathrooms. One thing you likely won't find in bathrooms, though, are an endless supply of paper towels. There's often nowhere to dry your hands, so you're encouraged to carry around a little cloth to wipe them on. I am a heathen, and I wipe my hands on my jeans. But I advise you, I gotta advise you to be better than I am because I shouldn't do that. But every time I bring a cloth, I forget it. So, eh, you know, do better than I do. Do better than I do. When you make purchases at a shop, you don't hand the money directly to someone. There will be usually a little tray that you put your money down on and then your change in your receipt will be placed back on that tray. Also, you're gonna get a lot of paper receipts, a lot. So just be prepared for that. Also, uh, there aren't really trash cans around, so be prepared to carry your trash with you. Things will be overwhelming. Things are bright. You'll go to a drugstore and it'll feel like there's a million small TV screens screaming at you. If you do get sensory overload easily, just prepare for that going in. There are also plenty of calmer things you can do in Tokyo, so I would recommend scheduling accordingly to make sure you're not too inundated in one day by all of that, if that is an issue. And if you're not sure where you're going that day for a meal, or especially if you're going to Team Lab, try not to wear, if you are someone who does, try not to wear a skirt or a dress. There is a chance that you could be seated at a restaurant where you're on the ground or you're sitting down, not in a chair. But especially at Team Lab, there can be mirrored services on the ground. So maybe just wear pants that day or overalls or a jumpsuit, something more pant-like. If, you know, personal preference, but just my recommendation. And if you're in need of a no-brainer souvenir to bring back to the office or school or work or family, omiyage is your best bet. You will see this everywhere, including at the parks. And it's basically just individual packaged treats and sweets, typically in a pretty box or tin or container that is ideal for sharing with someone upon your return. And if you get uh, if you get nervous about being able to find a bathroom, all of the big department stores and things like that have great ones, but there are also reliable bathrooms in the subway stations. They are clean and nice and easy to use. Things feel compact in Tokyo. So do note that places you will go to might not feel as roomy as back home. Cafes, restaurants, bars, things might feel a little more small and crammed in than you might be used to back home. And while I mentioned it already, convenience stores are everywhere and everything is super affordable. When I'm home in New York, the bodega I go to most frequently charges $4 for a water, $4. And that is simply not the case here. You can stay hydrated easily and inexpensively, which is great for a dehydrated gal like myself. And I think that's it. I think we've fully covered everything you need to know if you are going to Tokyo Disney Resort. Again, if you have any questions now or in the future, if you're listening to this further on, please call us the 747 Churros hotline and we will happily answer your questions. And if you weren't planning a trip and are now kind of wanting to, I am right there with you. I want to also. And I hope you have a wonderful time. Let me know if you use this guide when you travel and you had a nice time. It, uh, it will make me really happy to know that I helped at least one person on their wonderful, wonderful trip to Japan. Have so much fun, and thanks for listening. Hey, Carly, this is Tyler uh, up in Alberta, Canada. Just wanted to comment a little bit. I took a trip with my son, uh, his first time to Disneyland. Uh, He is not a small child like uh, little Pearl, but uh, he's 14. Um, but my son uh, has a number of medical issues, including uh, type 1 diabetes, um, autism, and Tourette's, and ADHD, so all sorts of stuff. And um, I believe you had talked before about a um, couple things, uh, one being the DAF pass. We got that. It was tough. Uh, it, it tried my patience to get it set up, but it was wonderful. It was very 
um, very helpful. And uh, just wanted to put that out there that uh, it is useful to, when used for the right purpose, it is absolutely amazing. Um, the second one, uh, you talked about going with Pearl and, or going with kids um, in general and uh, putting uh, them first and making sure you get your goals of one or two things you want to do. And I really put that in place in my mindset uh, for when we went to, to Disneyland. We, uh, my son is obsessed with cars. Uh, in fact, when we went, I, I had no idea if he would even go on a ride at all. He went on Spider-Man, and after that, it was cars. Cars, 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 cars. So we went on uh, uh, Radiator Springs Racers as many times as we could, and he absolutely loved it. Everything else he was indifferent to. But cars and meeting the in meeting the, the characters in Radiator Springs and going on Radiator Springs Racing um, brought his personality out, brought just his joy to him, and that made me happy. Even though I didn't get to do what I wanted to do, that was okay because it made him happy. I've already spoken too much. You're awesome. Thank you for putting that mindset in my in my head. Um, it helped us have a good time. And uh, yeah, say hi to your mom for me. Hi, Tyler. Oh my gosh. I love that your child had such a great time in Radiator Springs. And while I am beyond flattered that you think I had anything to do with you having a good trip. I am so grateful if even just suggesting that mindset had the tiniest bit of effect. I gotta say, sitting here listening to your call, I'm pretty sure your day went great because you are a fantastic parent who is doing a wonderful job. Making sure that you had your child got to do what they wanted to do, even if you didn't get to do what you wanted to do, is tough. It's tough for a Disney fan. I I can relate, and I am uh, I'm so I'm just truly beaming with joy. It's like so nice to hear that, you, that your kid was able to have so much fun, even if it meant you had to sacrifice a little bit of what you like doing at the parks. And being there with a kid, granted, I'm very new at it, but it is it is a different experience. And you and I are you know going through it together, even though my kid is much 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 younger. Uh, it is it is nice to. Have have solidarity there. And also, I'm so glad you had so much fun. Oh, I'm so glad you got to go on the ride multiple times. Oh, I love calls like this. I'm so glad you had a great time. And I do want to mention Das Pass. We are very long overdue for an episode explaining this because I do know for people who are using it for the first time, the onboarding, the getting it can be tricky. So I'm really hoping to do that at some point this year. I would love to have guides for the service at Disney Parks and Universal Parks, because I do believe it recently changed. Um, that is coming. So I, I apologize that it wasn't there for your trip, but I am so glad that you were able to navigate it and have so much fun. Oh, congratulations. Thank you for your call. And truly, congratulations on being a great parent. You're killing it. You're killing it. Thanks for calling. That's our show! Thank you all so much for listening to our three-part guide for visiting Tokyo at Tokyo Disney Resort. You can rate, review, and follow us on Apple Podcasts, or you can rate and follow us on Spotify if you enjoyed this you know, it's a free guide, it, and it, it, took, it took a lot of planning. If you want to be like, yeah, that was cool, I'll give it five stars, we would greatly appreciate it. And if you want to type a little thing like, hey, yeah, that was cool, I enjoyed it, we would also appreciate that. It really helps people find the podcast, and I, I'm so thankful for every single person who has ever done that. You can give us a call at 747-CHUROS, or send us a voice note, or email it to 747-CHUROS.com if you have any questions you want us to answer, or if you just want to complain. If you just want to complain about a Disney thing, if you're in the parks and you're like, this should not be. Give us a ring. If you're in the parks and you're like, this was incredible. You simply must know about this magic moment. Let me know. I'm all ears. And we are backed up with the Charles Hotline. There's a lot of stuff I need to get to. There are some wonderful calls I want to play. We obviously have spent the bulk of the past month working on putting these guides together, but they are coming. I know I say that a lot, but this time I mean it. We're going to answer some calls. So get excited. And if you want to tell people you listen to this great podcast or just let people think that you're funny, um, which Very Amusing Merchandise does do, you can grab it at very-amusing.com. You can follow me at Carly Wiesel on all the things, and you can join the family at facebook.com slash groups slash Carly Wiesel. This episode was edited patiently by Jeff Fox. I have been down to the wire on these episodes. I have been sick. I've been churning them out. And Jeff has been so flexible. We love Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. This is me thanking you publicly for being the most patient man alive. I am so grateful for you. Please don't leave me. You're the best. Thank you. <laughs> and thanks to all of you for listening. See you real soon.
sweethearted mom. Okay, you have me in matching outfits. I am all in. You know how I always matched us up when you were little. That's one of my favorite things. So I'm in. We're going. Um, the part about no video, no filming on Rise, uh, that might be a problem for me, and I might get in trouble on that one. I wonder what they do. Do they kick you out? Otherwise, I won't do it. If they just give you a slap on the hand, I'm in. Okay. The English Tokyo Disney Translation app, I'm going to do that right now. I am so excited about that. We'll be all ready to go. I'm ready to go. And gondolas? Like, what? I want to go on a gondola with you and wear a matching outfit. That would be the highlight of my trip. You know it. I love that. And you know I love Duffy. I am buying everything Duffy. I'm bringing an extra duffel bag to fill with Duffy. I am so excited because Duffy is my very, very favorite. A photo is happening. And if you don't take me to see him, I'm raiding your closet and I'm getting the backpack, the coat. I'm taking it all. Telling you right now. I love you. Great part two episode of Disney Tokyo. It was fabulous. I'm in town and I'm actually recording this from my room at your house. That's right, my room. Yeah, this is kind of fun. I love you, Carly. I love you, Pearl. I love you, John Stamos. Bye, everybody.